0: Welcome, guys. Thanks for coming back. Uh, second part in our uh, word series that we're doing today, we're doing it on uh, the issue of the authority of, of God and God's word specifically. Um, did anyone have just quickly any questions from last week? Things that you might want to have brought up this week? <coughs> if you do, at any point, just feel free to, um, to uh, raise them at uh, any point. So, of thing we want to try and make it as sort of interactive as possible. Um, we're going to be basing most of what we look at today at a passage that you might be familiar with, 2 Timothy 3. We're going to be looking at verses 10 all the way through to 17 to read that passage that's often quoted in context. Um, and we're going to be working our way through this thing. I think it's a really great topic to think about, um, the authority of God. But before we do anything else, um, why don't I pray for us, and then we'll get started. Lord, uh, this morning we just want to thank you for your word. And we want to thank you that you are a God who speaks to us, that you are interested in the details of our lives and um, you don't leave us in the dark, but you're the God who speaks. And Lord, often we find it hard to hear your word. We find it hard to be faithful in paying attention and listening and obeying. And I just pray that you help us to understand what does it mean that your word has authority and um, that we might be more faithful uh, to you as, as your children. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first question I want to begin with today, thinking about last week we looked at the canon. What does it mean to be uh, part of the Bible? What's in, what's out? What is God's word? Now we're looking at um, this issue of authority. Does anyone have uh, an idea about what it means that the Bible is authoritative? Um, does anyone want to take a stab and to think about it? CJ? I'll take that. It has authority over us. Yeah, something like that. Um, Definitely, it has authority over us. I guess uh, I'll put it in the way that uh, Gruden puts it, because I think it's a really simple way to think about it. Uh, The authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words. That's what it means, that all the words that we read in the Bible are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey the words of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God himself. Do you catch that? that? So the idea of authority, the authority of the word, means that all the words that we read in the Bible are not just the words of people. They're God's words. And in such a way they're God's words, all these words, that when we disbelieve it, distrust it, or we disobey any word, it, is, it means that we disbelieve or disobey God himself. Um, that's, that's what we're talking about. That's really the, the issue that we're going to be looking at today. And like I said before, the main place of Scripture, because I want to try and take us to Scriptures, not just so you think, oh, well, that's a good idea, makes sense, because I'm saying it, but um, that we can just be continually building upon God's word um, I want to take you to 2 Timothy 3, as I mentioned before. So, if you have Bibles with you, just pop them open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to read um, just this section uh, from 10 all the way down through to 17. Timothy, um, or Paul, writing to Timothy, says the following. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching... While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be com- complete, equipped for every good work. It's a great passage, and I think it's got lots of goodness in there. Um, I want to look at really three big topics, uh, three things that I think this passage, understanding in context, um, teaches us about the authority of Scripture. and Because this is really one of the key passages. Uh, on this topic of of uh, the authority of God's word of Scripture, and the first thing that uh, I want to put to you that it teaches us is just what we were saying before. Remember that definition: the authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words. Such that to disbelieve or disbelate, uh, disbelieve or disobey any of the words in Scripture means to, in effect, disbelieve or disobey God Himself. Um, one of the things that this passage teaches us is that all the words in scripture that we read are God's words. Um, we see that in verse 16. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God. It's really this, like a word picture. In English, it's where we get the word to be inspired, right? But it's probably next, probably not the greatest word, and I guess you can't use the more appropriate word because. <laughs> Carries another implication, which is probably better to say expired. Right, breathed it out, but that also means that it's all scripture is expired. It means it's you know it passes use by date, um, which is not the case. But uh, uh, the idea is that that it's like God literally. It's his breath. It's like he breathed it out. It's his words. That's what it's a picture of. It's the very words of his mouth. Um, which words? Well, it says all of scripture. Is breathed out by God. Uh, that word Scripture there in Greek is a really technical term in Greek that refers to it's the, the word graphe. where we get like graphics. It means writings. Um, it's a technical term that refers to the Old Testament scriptures specifically. That's what that's what Paul is referring to. Um, and the Bible testifies to this that the Old Testament is God's very words. If you go through your Old Testament, you'll see, I think it's something like 350 times, it says, Thus says the Lord. The the claim there is, these are the words of Yahweh. This is what your God is saying to you. It's kind of equivalent to saying, uh, in the Old Testament context, Thus says the King. This is what his command and decree is to you. This is his words to you. And similarly, a thing that we've been talking about over the last few uh, occasions that we've been meeting together is that the prophets uh, were messengers from the divine king. Uh, let me read you a passage from Numbers 22, uh, verse 38. Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that must I speak. So Balaam, the prophet, is saying very clearly that the words he's speaking to this kind of wayward, crazy king Balak are God's very words that he's placing in his mouth. It's not a sense of what God's saying. It's God's actual words. You get a word wrong in the Old Testament, you're a false prophet and you're not to be believed at all. Um, God was said to speak through the prophets, and therefore to disobey the prophets was to disobey God himself. And we see this time and time again. 1 Kings uh, chapter 20, verse 35, uh, says the following. It says, And a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his fellow at the command of the Lord, Strike me, please. <laughs> it's a pretty confronting thing to say. But the man refused to strike him. That's this prophet. Then the prophet said to him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as you have gone from me, a lion shall strike you down. And as soon as he had departed from him, a lion met him and struck him down. That's a pretty confronting picture, isn't it? It says, strike me, with you, like I did, with a sword. And the guy says, I'm not going to do that. He says, because you've not obeyed the word of God to you through me, a lion's going to kill you. And lo and behold, that's what happens. So in the Old Testament, we see um, the Old Testament words as God's very words. And that's what uh, Paul is saying here. All Scripture, all the words in the Old Testament are breathed out by God. But by implication, he's not just saying the Old Testament, but the New Testament words are God's very words as well. Um, and we've been looking at this uh, repeatedly um, over the last uh, couple of weeks. A passage that's on your sheet again this week that we looked at last week um, uh, which is key to understanding this, is uh, something that Peter writes about the writings of Paul. Peter says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. So Peter saying, you know, as you read Paul's letters and writings, there's some things in there that are tricky to understand. You know, so it's not just us that think that. Peter also thought Paul's writings were hard to understand. And he's saying some people twist them and, and use them for their own ends, just like they do the other graphe, scriptures. So here, Peter's quite clearly saying that, that Paul's writings are scriptures. He understands them to be the writings of God. Um, Just equivalent to the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, Again, we read passages like uh, we mentioned last week, 1 Timothy 5.18. The scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labour deserves wages. The passage, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, comes from Deuteronomy 25. Um, The passage, The labour deserves his wages, comes from Luke chapter 7. Paul here is quoting Luke's writings as scripture. Um, again, 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty-seven. Paul says of his writings, if anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to are a command of God. I mean, who, who can say that? Who can say that the things, are, you know, if I write a letter to Charlotte or to Rachel, you know, I can't say the things I'm writing to her are a command of God, that, you know, unless I'm quoting scripture. Then they're just not. Um, but yet, Paul understood that's what he was doing. And the point is this, it means that in your Bibles, it's not just the red letter writings that are the words of God. You know, it's not just that the red letter Jesus says stuff is God's word and the rest isn't. Every word is the word of God. Every word is authoritative for us. That's the first point that our passage today teaches us, is that, that all of the words of Scripture are authoritative. They're all God's words. The second thing that I think is equally important that people often don't uh, realize when they're quoting our passage, 2 Timothy 3, is that persecution and opposition will often be the fruit of following God's word as authoritative. That's the context in which Paul is writing. Um, Paul, in this passage, he begins with this encouragement to Timothy to follow his life and example. Um He says, you know, follow my teaching, follow my conduct, follow my love, follow my patience, my persecutions. He's holding out an example and and commending Timothy and saying, look, you've seen how I live, follow me. Um, And then we read a, a passage that's often quoted, but not quoted in this context. And that is verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Persecution comes from faithful following of Jesus, faithful following his example, faithful following of this word as authoritative. Um, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, not might be, will be persecuted, will face opposition. Um, And he goes on to talk about in verse 13, there's these evil people, these imposters that are coming amongst them. And then he says in verse 14, this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from where you learned it. And he goes on about the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to make them wise for salvation. And it's in that context that he goes on to say in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. So the context in which we particularly need to hear this word about the authority of God's scripture is the context of faithful living as Christians, the context of opposition, actually. It's that context into which the the, the, the uh, pastor Timothy needs to hear that this is God's word. Um, and I think it's the same for us as well. You know, we don't live in a neutral world that is ambivalent about the things of Scripture. We live in a world that's that's really opposed to the things of God, opposed to the teachings of Scripture. And in that context, it's so easy to compromise, to change the way we read the Bible, not to be faithful to what we're reading, but because it's really uncomfortable to be obeying and, and reading the things that we read in Scripture. Um... You know, ignoring certain teachings because they simply, they, they don't feel right. Um, teachings like the Bible's teaching about manhood and womanhood, for instance. Teaching Teachings like the Bible's teaching about marriage and about uh, sexual purity. You know, it's offensive to many people to hold to this idea that marriage is a gift from God that is meant to point to this beautiful image of Christ in the church that's meant to be exclusively between a man and a woman. To many people, that's offensive. I mean, one of my colleagues, I stumbled across uh, her. She's uh, in a lesbian relationship, showing one of my other colleagues an engagement ring that she just bought for a partner. I mean, what do you do in that situation? It feels so uncomfortable not to want to celebrate with someone uh, who is going into something that is actually really displeasing to God, and we believe as Christians is profoundly unhelpful and a harmful way to live. It's difficult, and so the temptation in that context is to is to compromise. And in that context, that Timothy is also pastoring, where people are twisting the writings of Scripture, where they're opposing it, where they're persecuting those that live by this word. Paul says and reminds Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Um, So that's the second point. Um, Persecution and opposition will be the fruit of following this word. And so we need to to remind ourselves in the context of opposition to be faithful to God's word as authority. Thirdly, uh, and the final sort of point I think we get from this, um, is again the, the, the thing that we've been plugging on today. To disbelieve any word of scripture is to disbelieve God himself. And we get that from uh, verses 16 and 17. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Um, You know, I think sometimes... uh, People can treat uh, God's word maybe a bit like it's kind of like general thoughts about life or um, just a general collection of ideas. And so it's okay for you to believe it. But as for me, you know, I, I probably don't. I think, I see things differently and that, and that's fine. Um, whereas that's not actually what we believe God's word is. We believe God's word is granted in history. We believe that God's word is God's words himself. We believe that God's word is the story of our salvation, how we were rescued, how the world came to be, and 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 how God redeemed us out of our, our wickedness. And it's not just a collection of ideas. It, it includes his wishes for how we should live and relate to him. And, and it's profitable, as Paul says, for teaching, for reproof. That word reproof means strong disapproval. Reproof is the strongly... Um, disprove of the way someone's living for instance um, for correction that word means uh, restoration and improving um, and for training in righteousness what uh, for what to what end that the man of god may be complete equipped for every good work um, it's it's and it's includes God's thoughts not just about how he came to save us and redeem us, but his thoughts for how we can live in relationship with him. I mean, that's the heart behind all of Scripture, is that people might come to know him and enjoy him forever. Um, as the Westminster Confession says, that's the end of man and the message of Scripture. So passages like John fifteen twenty, um, Jesus says, Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. You see, implicit in what Jesus is saying is that the word that we're bringing is something that's meant to be kept. It's something that's meant to be followed. Um, 2 Peter 3.2 And you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Saviour through your apostles. It's a commandment through the apostles, an instructive word of God through the apostles to the followers um, of the apostles, to us as Christians. It's something that's meant to be obeyed. It's not just a collection of thoughts and ideas, it's instruction as well. Um, again, Second Thessalonians 3.14, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he might be ashamed. These are words that are words of instruction for us. They affect how we're meant to live. 2 Corinthians 13, 2-3 I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did while present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but powerful among you. Paul's saying, I've warned them once, you know, um, and I'm going to warn them again, you know, that if I come to you, I'm not going to spare them. He's going to have a harsh word to say because this word is a word from God. It's a word that's meant to affect how we live. Um, So there are three points Um, that that scripture is God's very words that secondly, the context in which we particularly need to hear this word is persecution and opposition, which is the fruit of following it. And thirdly, that to disbelieve any of the words of Scripture is to disbelieve God himself. To disobey any of the words of Scripture is to disobey God himself. Well, I want to move on to a question I'm going to throw out to you guys um, and ask you. Uh, so we've seen that the Bible's testimony is that the words of Scripture are God's very words, how can we, how can we know for sure that the Bible is in fact the authority of the Word of God? And if you're sitting there and you're thinking, is it really, can I really trust it? Is it really God's words to us? Uh, how does someone go about discerning that or seeking proof of that? Um, does anyone have any thoughts? that you might even have a friend um, who comes to you and says but how do you know these words are really God's words absolutely yeah and I think that's right Um, as Christians um, we we know that that this is God's word because of the testimony of the Holy Spirit absolutely Um, and to be honest I think that's where it begins and that's where it ends actually you know um, we're gonna look at there is a part to play in other evidences for the authority of Scripture as God's Word things that are historical studies things that are you know maybe even scientific uh, proofs or observations that show that the Bible is not contradicted in its claims there's a place for those things. But, but that can only take you to the extent of saying, well, I believe the things that are written in the Bible are not false. Right? Um, it, it doesn't take you the next step to go, I believe the things that are written in the Bible are God's very words. That, are, that they're spoken by God himself. And um, I think... Often, as Christians, uh, in fact, for me, my temptation is to um, want to rest really heavily on the proofs the proofs you know the the evidences the clever arguments to try and win people into and i 'm not saying they don 't have a place but i 'm saying ultimately that those things alone can 't make someone a Christian and can 't bring them to a place of seeing that this is actually the authority of Word of God. Um, we are um, convinced of the Bible's claim to be the Word of God as we read the Bible and as the Holy Spirit speaks to us in and through the word itself um, I think I got a passage on your sheets there from uh, Paul's writings first Corinthians uh, chapter 2 13 to 14 Um which is really instructive to this end. Paul says this about his ministry amongst the Corinthians. He says, And we impart this, that's the teaching about the gospel, in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. He goes on and he says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. So Paul says, you know, the essence of our teaching is spiritual, capital S spiritual, um, holy spiritual, and that His teaching is to those who are spiritual, those who have come to trust in Jesus, those who have come to have the Holy Spirit uh, dwelling, indwelling within them, those that have come to be part of God's family, those that God has led to be born again, to be trusting in Him, to be spiritually newly born people. Um, But in addition to that, Paul says the natural person, that's the person who's just physically born but has had no spiritual rebirth, not just kind of accepts them not just eh, you know is ambivalent about it not even partly accepts them the natural person does not accept these things why the things of the spirit in fact more than that they're stupid to him they're folly to him and he's not able to understand why because they're spiritually discerned they're capital S spiritually discerned they're discerned through the ministry of the Holy Spirit um, Paul is saying to understand his teaching requires the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and Jesus teaches a similar thing. Um, Jesus teaches it in some different language, but exactly the same message. Jesus' message is this. Jesus' message is that the sheep know the call of the shepherd. Jesus says in ten twenty six twenty seven, speaking to the Pharisees, but you do not believe me, Because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. People that have come to trust in Jesus, when they hear him speaking, they follow. They recognize there's something that resonates in them. They can't resist the call of the shepherd. And and, um, so it is for other people. You know, um, we can't, apart from the word... Um, you know come to, to know and, and follow Christ, you know. Uh, you know, it's not as though that someone just sitting there in the darkness is gonna have a voice whispering to them saying, you know, these are my words, you know, you know, come and come and read them and know them. I'm not saying that, you know, that couldn't happen, but it happens through the word that we come to know and understand the truth about Christ. And and the second point is the the point that I I made before, which is just that other evidence is useful in that process. Like, I'm not trying to say that it's a waste of time, apologetics, you know, trying to, you know, see all these proofs and things, but it's not finally convincing. It might take down uh, arguments and reasons why people might not even be prepared to examine uh, the words of the Bible, like defeaters, you know, is what Tim Keller calls them. But it's not going to take them that next step to actually trust it and believe it, that it's actually God's word. Uh, Grudem says this. He says, It's helpful for us to learn that the Bible is historically accurate, that it is internally consistent, and that it contains prophecies that have been fulfilled hundreds of years later, that it has influenced the course of human history more than any other book, that it has continued changing the lives of millions of individuals through its history, that through it people can come to find salvation, that it has a majestic beauty and a profound depth of teaching unmatched by any other book, and that it claims hundreds of times over to be God's very words. All of these arguments and others are useful to us and remove obstacles that might otherwise come in the way of believing in Scripture. But all of these arguments taken individually or together cannot finally be convincing. You can't take all of the evidence that supports Scripture altogether, sit down and come to a place purely based on the evidence that, oh yeah, I should really trust this as God's Word. It just doesn't happen. Because what we believe and what the testimony of Scripture is, is that we require the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, the Westminster Confession of Faith, I've got it on your sheet, says this, it says, Our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof, that is, of the Word of God, is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. That's how we know. The testimony of the Holy, Holy, scripture, uh, Holy Spirit working in us. And in that sense, um, point three on your sheet, uh, scripture, therefore, is self-attesting. Um, the, the Bible teaches that not only is um, God the God who never lies, Titus 1-2 says this, it says, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. The Bible says that God is a God who is God of truth. But scripture is more than just truthful. It's the standard of truth. It's the measure by which we measure truth. Uh, a passage that we looked at last week that's on your sheet again this week is John seventeen seventeen. It's the words of Jesus. And it's interesting what he says. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, notice what Jesus says in, in that uh, uh, statement. He doesn't say your word is truthful, although it is. He actually says something more than that. He says, your word is truth. What Jesus is saying is that more than just this is a message that contains things that are truthful, although it does. Jesus is saying in John 17, 17, that God's word, it more than just truthful, is the standard of truth. It's the measure by which we measure all other truths. Um, and and the truth is that if Scripture is the standard by which we measure truth, we can't use other sources to validate Scripture. You know, there's uh, a group of scholars who try and go through, you know, archaeological evidence to come up with the historical Jesus. Um, you know, it was really big, sort of 70s, 80s, 90s, sort of thing. It's not as big anymore, but. Um, Basically, what they did is they went through the Bible and took out all the bits that were supernatural um, and went through other documents and basically took all the things that I guess were within the realm of possibility for them to come up with what the true Jesus of history was like. Um, As Christians, we can't do that because our standard of truth is not archaeological sources. Our standard of truth is God's Word itself. It's the standard by which we measure all others. And some people at this point say, well, that's a circular argument. You know, you're starting with the Bible and saying it's the standard of truth, and then you're measuring everything else by it, and and you look at everything through the lens of the Bible, and therefore it proves through the lens, that lens you're looking at, that it is the standard of truth. It's a circular argument. But that's the nature of a gold standard. Um, Everybody rests at some point on a gold standard by which they measure and evaluate all the other truths. Um, some people from a scientific background do it as well, equally so. And that standard, that gold measure, is that all that exists in the universe is stuff. It's not a scientific point. It's a philosophical belief. It's a standard from which you begin to then fill in other standards. And for us as Christians, the standard which we base everything on is this Bible, this Word, this Word of God. It's more than just truthful. It's the standard of truth. It's what we use to to measure and evaluate other things in and from it. Um, so other sources may cause us to go back and read Scripture more carefully to see if we've really understood what it's saying. But we never assess the truthfulness of the Scripture using outside claims and sources we take God's Word as the standard of truth it's authoritative. This doesn't mean that as a point to clarify just quickly this doesn't mean that God dictated the whole Bible. this doesn't mean that you know um, you know God just said, all right you know, Peter write this and this and this and this um, there are instances in, in the Bible where God dictates Scripture like in Revelation 2a um, Jesus says to the church of Smyrna, write this, Um, That's dictation. Um, But in others, um, you know, the author does his own historical research. Like in Luke um, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, Luke writes that he's basically collected all these historical sources and put them together for Theophilus, that he might know with certainty that what he's reading uh, or what he's heard about Jesus is true. Um, What we mean is that the result of Holy Spirit filling authors is... And, and writers and editing under God's sovereign oversight is that the, the result of all that process is the very words of God himself. Um, that God claims the result of what has happened in history, his inspiration of real people in, in real history, um, he claims that result as an expression of his very words. Um, Well, let's move on. Um, We're just going to kind of wrap things up with um, some questions for you guys to think about um, uh, as we finish with the last kind of handful of minutes that we have. Um, The question I really wanted to um, flow on from these things we've been talking about um, to get your perspective on is question five. How might you seek to persuade someone that the Bible is God's word? You know, where might you want to, in light of what we've been talking about, direct someone to go if you really wanted to persuade them that God's Word, well, the Bible really is God's Word. Yeah. So, so to ask them whether they've actually read it for themselves before. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. Where Where might you go from there? What if they say, no, I've never really read it before. You know, how, how might you direct someone and, um, you know, I mean, do you think you might send them to other resources first or um, might you give them a copy of, you know, um, you know, the, what, what's that book called again? The Case for Christ or something like that as a first place to go. Or what do you think, where do you think you might send someone to really persuade them that the Bible is God's word? Well, I guess where I'm sort of leaning towards is to say, take them to the Bible. Like, if it's true that that through the Holy Spirit God speaks to us through His Word, the best place to take someone um, to help them to see the truthfulness of God's Word is God's Word. You know, if there's ever a place where God is able to speak and use His Spirit in through to to bring someone to 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 seeing the truth that. This really is the authoritative word of God. This really is his words. It's the Bible itself. That's the best place to send someone. And I'm not saying that there's no place for giving someone a copy of the case of Christ. You know, if that's a real objection to the same Jesus, not a historical person or whatever. Um, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of good in that. But I think if in, in your thinking with people above and beyond any other thing or you can get people to be reading, it's to read the words of Scripture. Um because it's when God works in through Scripture that we come to know and trust um, who he is and his claims. Well, number six, let's um, think about this one. Why might... what? Uh, sorry, why might make... <laughs> Not good English. I guess I'm saying what might make someone want to disbelieve or disobey something in, in Scripture? And what are the reasons why people, I think, um, might be tempted to... Read scripture and think, mm. is there another option to read this as something else? <laughs> you know, what are the, what do you, th- what do you guys think of the temptations, the pressures that we face that kind of push us away from, from reading the Bible as God's actual words? So our, our sinfulness is absolutely the root of it, definitely. Um, you know, our sinfulness, as you're saying, Mel, that that causes us to. Disbelieve or, or um, want to reject the things that God's Word says, what do you reckon some of the cultural pressures are? Like some of the things, the voices in our culture that say, are you serious? You believe in that? And that's so narrow-minded or bigoted or that's patently false. What are some of the things that you think maybe would be pressures that really pressure us as Christians to, to not trust in, in what we read in the Bible? The yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, absolutely. The sexual revolution. Um, hedonism, right? Like, your life is about enjoying it as much as possible. And so that applies to sexuality as well. So if you want something, you should have it. If you feel a certain way, you should live in the way that brings the most happiness to you and whoever else is in your life. Um, and so... You know, if you want to be with someone, you can be with whoever you want. And so therefore, if marriage is an arrangement between two people that love each other, then why not two people of the same sex? So who are you to say that's wrong? Who are you to say that's a destructive way to live? Pressure from our culture that says, you serious? You're going to listen to this? It's 2,000 years old, buddy. Like, are you serious? You take this as God's word? What else? What's something else that might be in our culture that uh, might pressure us to, to not take the Bible seriously? Relativism as well, you know, like um, you know, your tr- yeah, like exactly what Angie's saying, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. Who are you to say that, you know, my truth, you know, your truth is better than my truth, you know? Um, which is kind of a way of saying, my truth that everything's relative is the greater truth and yours is the lesser truth, really. Just another way of saying that. Um, yeah, this idea of pluralism, like that multiple people should be able to believe whatever they want to believe as, as long as it doesn't impact upon mine. And you can believe anything you want as long as you believe that everyone can believe anything they want and live any way they want without telling anyone else about the way that they should live. So that's kind of like a sneaking in one absolute truth above the rest. But anything, anyway, that's, that's, the, that's, that's what uh, tolerance means in our culture now. Um, it's you can believe anything that you want Um, and live any way that you want as long as it doesn't hurt any other people and as long as you're happy um, with my truth that everyone should just believe anything they want and live any way they want you know as long as you're on board with that that's fine that's tolerance Um, what else I mean there's a whole bunch of them egalitarianism and feminism the idea of equal but different gender-based identities and roles it's offensive to people you know It, it we should just be able to be whoever, whoever we want to be and live in any way that pleases us you know um, capitalism the idea of generosity of the poor and justice for the marginalized and oppressed in some ways people like that in other ways when it starts to hurt they don't like with refugees or with um, actual costly giving towards those that are in need and um, sacrificing in a way that hurts um, so many different things materialism the idea of God as creator and sustainer and maker you know the idea of the spiritual realm—you know, our society says, "Are you serious? You believe in that? That's like kids' fiction." Um, these are the pressures that pressure put, that our culture places on us to disbelieve in in, in the Bible as as God's word. Um, so, I just wanted to end then, in light of that, with one last question based on Hebrews seven, and maybe this is something more that oh, we can just leave you guys to think about. Um, the writer of Hebrews in uh, uh, Hebrews 11.1 one says this. He says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And the question I want to leave you with is, do you ever find yourself believing something, not because you have external evidence for it, but simply because it's written in Scripture? Is that proper faith, according to Hebrews 11.1? What do you think Christ will say to you about this habit when you stand before his judgment seat? Do you think that trusting and obeying everything that scripture affirms will ever lead you into sin or away from God's blessing in your life? Something to think about. Um, well, I hope that's helpful. I mean, we've kind of gone a little bit over over time today. Um, did anyone have, or if anyone has any questions or uh, things that maybe we could uh, discuss more uh, uh, later on, things that maybe were unclear or need clarifying if you can uh, let me know and um, we can talk about it in the break. Um, why don't I pray for us before we send you out and um, go out there and um, greet our guests and grab a cuppa and, um, and hope you're blessed as we sit under God's word today. Let's pray. Lord, we want to just thank you uh, so much for your word this morning. We thank you that it's trustworthy. We thank you that it's authoritative. We thank you that... It's your very words to ask, words of instruction, words of hope, words of life, Lord. And, um, Lord, I just pray for us with so much opposition in our culture, in our world. um, I pray that you would help us to see that this world's always been opposed to the things of you. And you are faithful, and you are worthy of trust, and you will help us, you will strengthen us and sustain us, Lord. Lord, would you help us to trust you and your words, to believe them, to obey them, that we might be blessed as we come to know your Son in more and more fullness? And praise in Jesus' name. Amen.